John Daigle, 4 from 4. Hayden Winks, Underdog Fantasy. And we kick things off with... Bills versus Eagles. Feels like Groundhog Day for both these teams, Hayden Winks, despite leading 17-7 at halftime. Over 500 yards of total offense, 29 first downs. The Buffalo Bills, in overtime, somehow lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, 37-34, bring the Eagles to 10-1 on the season, and the Bills to a 506-6. When a win probability chart looks this up and down, it's like not even worth the time to go into every single play <laughs> that mattered because there were so many significant plays, but you nailed it. It's just the, the two narratives going into this game. Eagles always find a way to win. They're always very physical. Never count Jalen Hurts out, and that's what happened here. Also, throw in a you know 59-yard field goal in the wet conditions to even force this game into overtime. And then on the flip side, the Buffalo Bills somehow finding a way to lose. It was actually, if you just looked at the, the box score, the team box score, you wouldn't even believe that the Buffalo Bills lost. They became the fourth team ever NFL history to win the turnover margin, score or uh, drop 500 yards, and outgain their opponent by over 127 yards and still lose. How they do so, they have 11 penalties, for 80 yards. That's way more than the Eagles. They missed two field goals on top of that. There's a couple blunders like that Gabe Davis uh, and Josh Allen misconnection on the potential game-winning touchdown in overtime. Those things were starting to go against, and there's a couple of Trent uh, Sherfield miscommunications throughout the game. But Josh Allen was so damn good. He was basically the only reason why the Bills were actually in this game. He was running like a maniac. So was Jalen Hurts on the other side. But it was just a couple... I would say coaching errors on the Buffalo Bills side that I wasn't a big fan of. One of them, when uh, the Eagles did trot out their field goal kicker for that 59-yard field goal, the Bills had two timeouts. Sean McDermott decides to call a timeout to ice the kicker. Well, there's like 30 seconds left in the game. If he makes that to force the game into potentially overtime, well, you want the ball with 25 seconds with Josh Allen, who's playing out of control. He ended up finishing with 96 percentile EPA. For a chance to, you know, win the ball game. You have Steph Diggs, you have Gabe Davis, you have Josh Allen. Instead, he calls a timeout and then takes when once they actually get the kickoff, he takes a knee, plays it into overtime, they end up losing the game. So always the Eagles very aggressive in this game. Shout out to Jalen Hurts getting this uh with a injured knee. The right tackle was gone, but really it was all the narratives going into this game turned out to be true. It's a team that continues these minor mistakes that seem like it won't catch up to haunt them, but genuinely they are stacking up and it's why they're losing. They looked for a scapegoat in Ken Dorsey, despite being top six and points and yards per drive. They just needed someone to blame despite having a good offense and being on the wrong end of turnover luck. And it's a lot of the same thing here, whether it's Josh Allen's interception, the miscommunication, as you said, on game Davis's would be game winning touchdown, little things like that that have caught up to haunt the Bills to this very second. Yeah, I mean, 24 points allowed to the Bengals, 24 points allowed to the Denver Broncos, now 37 points allowed to the Philadelphia Eagles. This Buffalo Bills team just makes no sense because I think both of us can watch Josh Allen play in a game like this and say that he is a top five player at two. his position. Number top two. two. Top two player at his position. And then you look on the other end of Jalen Hurts, who now the books have as the MVP favorite out there part of that i believe is because he is on the 10 and 1 team with the best record in the nfl just 18 completions 14 carries and that yeah. equals five touchdowns um again the eagles and i'll, I'll find the kevin clark 
visual that he put out there where we talk about it every single week. They just have like a better roster and better superstars than their opposition. Mm-hmm. And in single play, or as you put it, Daigle, one or two or three plays per game that are the difference for the Bills versus the Eagles, um, they have those individual players that can win in those moments, and it turns the tide in their favor. Yeah, a couple of the big plays, it was obviously Jalen Hurts, who definitely that knee is bothering him. I thought it maybe it would be a mm-hmm. little bit better. Obviously, playing in wet conditions wasn't helping him. Not having your starting right tackle wasn't going to help, but he still made some plays with his legs down the stretch. Devontae Smith without Dallas Goddard were playing into this even more and more and more, and those were the two big guys that came through in this one. It was a pretty uh, quiet game. For A.J. Brown throughout the game, still obviously did score a touchdown here. They had Jalen Hurts buying some time, just throwing a nice, beautiful pass into the end zone for another score. Uh, these two quarterbacks finished as the number one and number two fantasy quarterbacks on the week. We also had DeAndre Swift had hit a huge lane for a 36-yard uh, scamper here. So maybe another thing is just the Bills' defensive injuries have just really been piling on. And I'll include Vaughn Miller. Tony Roma pointed this out, that Tony that – uh, Von Miller is still not all the way back uh, coming off of his own ACL injury. So the Bills, it's still it's just so crazy because you said they're losing all these games. They're six and six. They're still fourth in the NFL in point differential. Now we have it on the flip side with the Bills. They're losing all these games despite having all this point differential. So always one of these teams run into crazy luck every single year. Right now, the Bills are running into bad luck. It's can we dive into some of the details of individual players here? Because like James Cook getting 16 carries stands out to me because it mm-hmm. feels like, you know, with Joe Brady calling plays, maybe they want to establish that. I know he had a drop touchdown to go along with, you know, six receptions for 57 yards. And as you mentioned, we have had some usage that has pointed to stable Gabe Davis games. And then we come back in the following week and that's just not the case, but here it's 12 targets, six receptions, 105 yards and a score. And meanwhile, it's just five receptions for 38 yards for Dalton Kincaid. So can you talk about those three players a little bit? Well, looking at this, there's just the percentage of drives that started with a run and uh, 24 of the 38 series started with a run for the Buffalo Bills. Typically, that's way reverse the other way. This was a run first game plan for Buffalo and it had, I would say, pretty bad results con- considering how good Josh Allen was playing when he was running around himself. So there was a little bit of a rotation. They did get Johnson in there uh, to begin the game. Uh, James Cook dropped a touchdown on a, I believe it was a wheel route uh, down the sideline. They went to Latav- Latavius Murray for a big stretch of the game. But James Cook did start marching down the field uh, later in the game. So it's a little bit of a committee. I do think that uh, Brady is going to run the ball a little bit more than Dorsey did. I think that's part of the Sean McDermott yeah. kind of – I think he's he feels like he's like playing s- stressed. Like Sean uh-huh. McDermott feels like so stressed and all these uh, coaching mistakes are kind of compounding. Well, it's. I another. think it's for the exact reason that you're talking about where they're top five in this, they're top right. two in that, and they're six and six on the I season. Know. And they still have the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Chargers, and then mm-hmm. finish the season with the Dolphins. Like Daigle, six and six on the year. What odds do you give the Bills for making the playoffs at this point? I mean, when we're talking about the AFC East in this. I thought they had to win this one honestly, to get in. The AFC is far too tight right now. Even when we move on to the AFC South and talk about those two teams trying to, or three teams really, trying to jostle and sneak in, um, the Bills can't afford a stretch like this. And as you said, it's now been five of eight games where just costly mistakes. I I will say this. The teams in front of them, if they're just trying to get to that seven seed or six seed, 
the Browns, the Colts, Texans, and Broncos are the teams ahead of them. Those aren't like the most groundbreaking teams. No. Obviously, the Bills' schedule is really right. tough. Uh, like yeah, I hear you it. about who's ahead of them, but it's again the Chiefs and the Cowboys over right. the next two weeks. And if those team two teams, and then we'll mm-hmm. get the Chiefs a little bit later on. But if those two teams play to their ability and the Bills continue to, again, live in this Groundhog Day universe, then they're six and eight. And then how do you claw back from that? And it's the Chiefs and the Cowboys with lesser schedules the rest of the way compared to the Bills schedule. So it's mm-hmm. it's just three teams that are in different universes right now. Yeah. And on the other side, the Eagles are now 10 and one, the 49ers in the Cowboys and the Lions set at eight and three. So they have a two game advantage in their conference, most likely looking at it by week themselves. Final question. You open with this with uh, Sean McDermott using his timeouts to try to ice a 59 yard field goal <sighs> with how progressive the NFL has become with both play calling and motion and going forward on fourth downs. I would be very intrigued to see some numbers backing up the idea of icing kickers in these scenarios. Cause I just feel like that is one of the most ancient practices in the NFL in 2023 yet teams yeah. continue to do it over and over and over again. Well, I think there's a big difference between icing a kicker with one second left on the clock where, you know, you're not going to get a chance to go and try to score on the next kickoff. And this situation was different. Like that timeout, probably if they had two timeouts there, they probably, instead of taking a knee, try to move down the field. Well, now you force them in overtime and you lose the game. So I think icing the kicker with, 30 seconds left versus one second left is a huge, huge difference. Today makes 15 catches for Bills running backs the last two weeks under Joe Brady. I think that's a little bit of an emphasis that they're now putting in their offense to help out Dalton and Kate underneath. Not only that, but on the other side of the ball, this Eagles defense is also a big problem. We didn't get to talk to each other since Monday, but obviously the Chiefs should have scored over 30 points against them. They shot themselves in the foot with three turnovers in the red zone, essentially, and a couple drop touchdowns. And then the Bills today just put it on them. As you said, Gabe Davis, a better and best ball player, but really just start him when you know the defense is poor. And that's exactly what today was to jam all the guys in for Buffalo. I'm going to push back a little bit on Mm -hmm. this Eagles defense being a problem. I'm with you on like a yarder standpoint, maybe on points. Mm -hmm. But in one and done games, which this team is going to get to in the playoffs, I will continue to repeat the notion that they have superstars at like multiple levels. Now, I think a big part of this Eagles defense issue in this game was like their linebacker deficient. You know, we saw these runs, we saw quarterback runs, we saw RPOs at the second level, we saw crossing routes over the middle of the field. So what, Nicoe Dean missing this game, someone else leaving like, Cunningham leaving halfway through, like, again, the Eagles are never investing their linebacker spot, but now you're on like your third and fourth players at that spot. I think that is an area where opposing offenses can attack, but like, they're not going to be a top five unit. Like we talk about some of these great defenses across the league, but again, in NFC championship Super Bowl, I think they have enough talent for like Mm -hmm. certain players in that to either get them off the field or make game changing plays. And shout out Jordan Davis. Big boy running down the field. That was actually a huge turn. If he had more time, Josh Allen, you don't know what type of play he makes. Huge. The They have the name value in the secondary. The issue is that those players at cornerback haven't stepped up at all to the challenge yet mm-hmm. this year. That could change like the Chiefs defense last year where they got back Chris Jones and then really it just came down to them getting pressure. And that's how they dominated throughout the playoffs. So sure, I could see that eventually. Uh, this upcoming week, they have another Super Bowl game against the 49ers. And so nice. we're going to see because, you know, it's going to come down to Brock Purdy against pressure. We'll see if he's ready to respond. 
Love that. Okay, we talked about the AFC playoff picture with the Buffalo Bills. Let's talk about two contenders in the race for that right now. Jaguars versus Texans. Don't look now. Jacksonville Jaguars are 8-3 and three on the season. Going to Houston, being the Texans, 24-21. to 21. Trevor Lawrence, 364 yards, one score to go in the air to go along with one on the ground. And Calvin Ridley, back-to-back weeks. John Daigle, five receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown to go along with a two-point conversion. Lots of pressure put on C.J. Stroud. And this one, how did both teams handle it? And both quarterbacks looked awesome in this one. Trevor Lawrence, for instance, 7 of 14 on throws 10 yards downfield for 140 yards and a touchdown. Uh, CJ Stroud, also under pressure. You're going to see clips throughout the week of him just dancing in the pocket, moving with to wherever he wants, making plays under duress. He looked great today. Having said that, there were enough mistakes to where the Texans ultimately did not get there, including in the first half, Stroud overthrowing Tank Dell for a 76-yard touchdown. That would have helped out a ton. And Dell's box score. Also, Dell had a 50-yard splash play called back for an offensive penalty. But overall, it was back and forth in the first half. Travis Etienne was injured in one point, And then the Jaguars turned to Tank Bigsby and Dearness Johnson. And Johnson then splashed a 42-yard catch, which then moved the Jaguars to the goal line. And Trevor Lawrence reached over it and scored a rushing touchdown. Stroud answered with a touchdown to Tank Dell whose body control at his size is incomparable. Even that touchdown catch he had where it seems like he's getting left to hang, like to take a big hit over the middle, but he could just kind of wiggle around and avoid the big hit and come down with it. The the dude just has an insane awareness for the sidelines, for where defenders are. I don't get it. He's a player who I'm never going to be able to pinpoint exactly, but he's very clearly here to stay as he continues to dominate targets around Nico Collins. We'll get to in a second. But Lawrence answered, hit Christian Kirk for a 57-yard catch, and then he was ruled down at the one-yard line with one second remaining in the half, up 13-7. And the Jags are getting the ball back to open the second half. So Doug Peterson decides to go for it. And I completely agree with you because this is a road Super Bowl game, essentially, for the division. So you're trying to put Stroud and the Texans away immediately. And Doug Peterson calls a fake sneak toss to ETN, who the Texans then stuff him at the goal line to award no points to Jacksonville. He's got it. On the next drive, Lawrence anticipates Evan Ingram coming back for the ball on a throw, but Jalen Petrie blatantly holds him. And there's no call whatsoever. And I'm sure a lot of Jaguars and Texans fans this game have a ton of reasons to complain because the refs were helping move the drives for both sides. And that allowed the Texans to pick off the ball and march down the field for Stroud to scramble it in for a one-yard score and also then go up by one point. But Lawrence and the Jaguars offense score 11 unanswered including a one-yard touchdown and two-point conversion to Calvin Ridley, who, yes, you mentioned did have a touchdown in back-to-back games, but if you saw the first half, all you saw was a drop touchdown in the corner of the end zone, and that was his one target in the first half. Literally was holding an egg through the first two quarters and did all of his production in the second half. The Texans pushed the ball down the field then. Uh, They need to score, but on third and fourth and short, they oddly schemed to throw it deep twice and give the ball back to the Jaguars who get stuffed 
punt it back to the Texans. And then, of course, Stroud leads a 55-yard drive, capping it with Nico Collins' 17-yard touchdown. And although the Texans forced another stop from Jacksonville, D'Amico Ryan's elected to kick the field goal on 4th and 12 to potentially tie the game with 30 seconds left. And Matt Amendola doinked it off the bottom crossbar. Thus, the Jaguars sneak in with a 24-21 win. It seems like there's two players of the game. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence was dominant. I, I believe it was mm-hmm. his highest EPA game of his entire career, and it was like by a lot. Uh, so it was probably the best game of his career between the rushing and the passing. And then second uh, MVP has got to be Zay Jones for the halftime speech, getting Calvin really absolutely <laughs> cooking in the second half. But this is like this is the perfect chart for it. The last two weeks, I don't know if they're watching stats versus film. They're watching they the recap show, what the deal is, but... Calvin really, it's not just the crossing routes. It's just the alignment working on inside and that touchdown uh, that he had. It was a nasty move at the line of scrimmage and he can go left or right. He did both went back over the middle for a touchdown. So it was very cool to see Calvin Ridley just get utilized in a more friendly way. It's hard for players to only win doing go balls down the sideline, especially at Calvin Ridley's age. We want to mix him back and forth. Let his route running give a chance to marinate. Yeah. Again, this 45 yard reception. Zay Jones isn't even on the field. So let's not continue to attribute Zay Jones being active to Calvin Ridley having big days because it is more so what we talked about in Stats versus Film last week and on the show last week. It's tight, condensed splits, and at times, um, stacked formations. Right? And here, again, by action, just crossing right over the middle. Instead, Hayden, as you talked about, just attached to the sideline, trying to run the green line, and just this five-yard window, if it's cover one, cover three, then maybe he gets a chance for it. And just these simple tweaks and changes. um, People, I asked John Shipley to pass a USB stick to press Taylor during his press conference every single week of a stats versus film. And this is what we showed them. Like, this is why Daigle, like every single week when it was great and when it went down, while I believe that there was something sustainable there with Calvin really on a weekly basis, because he is a super talented player. It just stunk that we were getting that same utilization. But now where it feels like, as Hayden said, best EPA game of Trevor Lawrence's career, they're eight and three, despite let's say some Rocky performances at times. Um, now to me, they are playing their best football of the season, despite, you know, Travis ETN maybe being stuffed for 20 for 56. Um, and, that coincides with, I think, figuring out their passing game as best as it has been since, you know, the last portion of last season when Doug Peterson was the one calling the plays. It's the sixth game in a row under four yards per carry for Travis Etienne. Uh, the Jaguars also lost Cam Robinson today mm-hmm. due to injury, their left tackle, unfortunately. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Dearness Johnson is, continues making plays on limited touches. Um, obviously, I think will continue to be an integral part of this offense moving forward as they continue to try and limit Etienne's touches to keep them fresh for the playoff run. But we'll see what happens here for the Texans. It's interesting because it's back-to-back games leading the team in targets for Nico Collins uh, since he returned from injury. Not only that, but also Stroud once again, just incredible under pressure. And the issue was in the first quarter, at least Bobby Slowick, went back to his old ways of still running the ball on early downs, and it was going nowhere, averaging less than three yards per carry, but did abandon that over the last three quarters, and Stroud was ultimately awesome in that stretch. Again, you're going to see his touchdown passes. You're going to see the plays he made under pressure, and he just looks like a god as he normally does every week. 
I think an underlying stat here that make, makes you win or lose the game. Uh, Stroud was pressured 25 times, Trevor Lawrence, seven. And that was, the to me, the big reason why Jacksonville was struggling so much is Trevor Lawrence feel like he was under pressure constantly, only being pressured seven times in a game where you had to drop back and be involved on that many snaps, to me, is a big sign. So hopefully Cam Robinson doesn't miss too much time because it does feel like that offensive unit up front is starting to gel. And shout out to the scramble drills that the Texans have clearly practiced, like how Nico Collins and Tank Dell or Devin Singletary even that can win on these extended plays. And then CJ knowing that, hey, if I just drift this way and I don't have to panic and boom, we can hit still these explosives outside the structure because we know the inside the structure stuff is still outstanding. Final question for you, Daigle. Uh, we got Damian Pierce back in this game. The carries were very similar, six and five, but via the passing game, Devin Singletary, seven targets, six receptions, 54 yards. It seems pretty clear that he owns his backfield at this moment. Singletary impressed enough, clearly, against the Bengals and Cardinals to where he won the job, including a route on 77% of dropbacks today to Damian Pierce's six routes. I knew something was up whenever they healthy scratched Mike Boone and only went with two running backs in this game, thinking, okay, someone's getting the pass-catching role. And it was very clearly Singletary, who not only posted six targets, I believe, uh, seven targets, six catches, but also had a big 33-yard catch as well in the first half. It It's like Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt, where both are combining now for carries, but the usage, because he has multiple ways to get there, absolutely favors Singletary until otherwise noted. The holidays are right around the corner, and what better way to please your family and the crowd than with HelloFresh's 15-minute meals? With HelloFresh, you can skip that trip to the grocery store and still turn around anything from photo-worthy charcuterie boards to mouth-watering desserts with pre-portioned ingredients that travel straight from the farm to your door. I've enjoyed avoiding that hassle with HelloFresh because all you have to do is pick your favorite meals, decide on a delivery date that works, sit back, and allow the food to come to you. And right now, HelloFresh is offering free breakfast for life. That's right, free breakfast for life. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash MostAccurateFree and use the code MostAccurateFree to receive one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. Again, that's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MostAccurateFree using the code MostAccurateFree. It's another reason why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. We'll continue on with more AFC contenders. Chiefs versus Raiders. Chiefs are also 8-3 and three on the season as they beat the Las Vegas Raiders 31-17. to 17. And this was despite a 13-yard first quarter where they scored zero points when the Las Vegas Raiders had the ball for 13 minutes of that first quarter. Uh, but what we saw in this game, something I talk about every single week how this chiefs team throughout the entire season now 12 weeks into was 30th in the league and number and percentage of drives in the second half where they came away with points well we got 14 points in the second quarter then 17 whopping points in the second half in fact i believe that was the first points they've put up in the second half since october 22nd of this year and they did it in i wouldn't say um rhythmic ways it was some really interesting plays where uh there was a sweet toss pitch back flea flicker 
that then we got a vertical route off of that. Then they pitched it, excuse me, that then Travis Kelsey was underneath and it was a nice chunk gain on top of that. Then just a beautiful over the shoulder linebacker um, window throw to Travis Kelsey again with a bucket catch that almost looked like a no look from Patrick Mahomes. Rasheed Rice, some might call it his breakout game, 10 targets, eight receptions, 107 yards and a touchdown. Um, that was despite a drop or two earlier. And it's what we're talking about every single week with Rasheed Rice, that in this offense, you're going to have to live with a drop or two, a rookie mistake here or two, because the yards after catch that he brings the table, like he did in this one in his 39-yarder, that power, no one else on this Chiefs roster can match it at all. And then we get also two Isaiah Pacheco rushing touchdowns. And while that is impressive, and that changed the course, I think, of what the Chiefs have shown us again through 12 weeks of the NFL season, the Raiders and how they started this game was pretty miraculous. It was pretty amazing to watch because Aiden O'Connell is going to be around in this league for a very long time. The placement, the accuracy that he throws with, it led them to two early touchdowns, uh, one to Jacoby Myers for, I believe it was like a 16-yard touchdown, and then Josh Jacobs with a 63-yard touchdown run on his own. But in the end, they only scored three points in the second half, and uh, they are now obviously on the outside looking in in the playoff hunt. I was going to say the Rasheed Rice to me is the big winner for fantasy circles. 71% route share in this game, which I believe is a season high for him. And it did lead the team. Obviously that coincides Michael Hardman, Kadarius, Tony, both missing in this game, op- giving him a couple more opportunities here. And then he made the most of it on his 10 targets. So I've been waiting to call him like a wide receiver three in fantasy. I've tried to be as patient as I can, but this team desperately needs somebody to step up and give them juju smith schuster level production and rasheed rice was always going to be that guy who became very clear early in the season that he was the one that eventually would have potential but i'm now feel comfortable if nicole Hartman and Kadarius tony both miss again we should be expecting rasheed rice to be a 70 ish percent player in this offense and to me that is good enough for wide receiver three level production it wasn't just leapfrogging marcus valdez scantling in usage he also ran more routes than justin watson and two wide sets like this is the change at least for one game that we've been waiting for and since it worked, at least against the Raiders, I would imagine it stays that way. Mm-hmm. Same for their backfield without Jarek McKinnon. Nothing went to Clyde Edwards-Lair. He did have a goal line carry in the first yeah, half. But there, there was a series where he got a carry from the six-yard line, got it down to the one-yard line, stayed in, got a carry again from the one-yard yeah. line. They were going to run the third play in a row with him as the back. And then the defense called a timeout, and that's when they took put Isaiah Pacheco in, and then he carried it in for a score. He looks shorter Lucky. this year. I don't know how. <laughs> Lucky for us, any goal line carry for CEH will then allow for one more play for hopefully someone else to come in. And Pacheco today, 20 of 22 backfield touches without McKinnon. Just awesome usage for the guys we've been waiting to see uh, get concentrated opportunity. Yeah, I, again, I, I want to stress that Rasheed Rice has areas where he wins. And those are very helpful. And I think that this Chiefs team now, again, deep into the season, understands those and aren't going to ask him to run big boy routes. You know, they're going to try to get the ball in his hands early. He did make a nice twisting sideline grab on top of it, but they're also going to live with these mistakes. They have to get him in this because, again, that was a real reason why they bucked this trend of what we've gotten in previous weeks 
to go along with, you know, a Raiders defense that with Max Crosby still got another sack in this game up to 11 on the season. But he told the CBS crew that his knee is going to have to have some type of procedure at the end of the year, and he's still playing through it. And that was really the only threat that they had defensively in this game. Dang. Rashid also doesn't need to run big boy routes like this totally. is not the offense this is not the coach and i know that's not what you're saying but it's kind of the perfect situation for him we've just been waiting for him to be on the field because when he's on the field it's an offense that allows you to like travis kelsey basically make up whatever you do and right. you spend enough time with your own quarterback to get there every week like marcus valda scaling only run nine routes those are the big boy routes let him do that and cross your fingers in the playoffs when it comes to push to shove he makes those big plays like Rasheed Rice can do just this on this opportunity and get there every single week. So there are four teams right now in the AFC that are eight and three. We're recording this during Sunday night football. It's the Chiefs, it's the Jaguars, it's the Dolphins, and it's the Ravens. Um, one of those teams, most likely, is going to get a first round bye. That's like the only thing that these four teams are all searching for. So the Chiefs on their schedule coming up, the Packers, the Bills, then the Patriots. And then it closes really nicely. The Raiders, the, the Bengals, and then the Chargers. So real nice. I haven't looked They're at the nice. other teams, but that is a real nice run out here for hopefully the Chiefs, who I think we can all agree haven't played their best football offensively all season long, that have the best defense probably that we have seen of the Mahomes era to once again, every single year it happens, hit their stride at the right time and run into the playoffs as the number one seed. I had a question about Josh Jacobs. We've kind of been riding the wave back and forth with him. Sometimes his usage is like completely off the charts. This week, we got back to that after a dud last week. We're not expecting the Raiders to be very good down the stretch. But if Antonio Pierce is like really going to make this thing happen, and today we got the six targets that we were in search of on top of the 20 uh, carries, um, how high could we be ranking Josh Jacobs down the stretch? I mean, his 59 or 63 yard run, whatever it was, was fantastic stuff. It was, and yeah. it was a great, it was just wide zone, great run block by Michael Mayer on the edge. Then it was an individual effort, you know, to turn a 17 yard gain into a 63 yard gain because he stiff arms a safety's helmet to the ground and then he's off the races and continues to outrun everyone else. So, yeah, I mean, 63 yard touchdowns change kind of the landscape of instead, it'd be, you know, 19 carries for what, 47. Um, so that's a big difference, but they, th this offense, again, especially in the first quarter and into the second quarter looked really good. And then the wheels kind of came off and we got back to that Steve Spagnuolo defense that we've been hyping up for so long. Okay. More playoff race stuff. Saints versus Falcons. Hand in the air. Did not see a single second of this game. A 24 to 15 win for now. The five and six NFC South leading Atlanta Falcons with Desmond Ritter back into the starting quarterback role and Bijan Robinson into the end zone twice with 19 touches for 123 yards. Post by rookie bump, Bijan felt really nice. The Falcons finished with 10 uh, explosive runs, which I believe are labeled as. 10 plus yards and we had a 10 yard rushing touchdown from Bijan. Then we also had a little play action wheel route uh, catch over the shoulder for Bijan for a second touchdown. He had a lot more opportunities in this one. They could have even been bigger if he didn't drop two passes on top of this Desmond Ritter though, very up and down performance. He still has this turnover problem. And right now I believe he's leading 
uh, all quarterbacks in turnover worthy plays. And he's had a couple of them. He had a, a pass. I was a little bit high to be John Robinson, a little Texas route in the red zone for an interception. And then I had another one later in the game. So really it was the Falcons uh, defense at the very end, holding off some big drives by the saints. And then it was the ground game and Bijan Robinson in particular, really taking this thing home. When Ritter did drop back to pass, it was almost always to Drake London. Drake London had an awesome diving play down the field on a little crossing route. But this this felt like a NFC South <laughs> game of, of for the ages for this year, which is not saying a whole lot. I was not impressed by really either one of these teams. Uh, but right now, the Falcons now are uh, ahead of the Saints. They're going to play each other in Week 18, uh, most likely to decide who's actually going to make it uh, into the playoffs. But neither one of these teams really stuck out to me. But it was at least to see B- good. It was at least good to see Bijan Robinson really pop off in fantasy. It was a 35% target share for Drake London. And now in five consecutive games with Ritter, he's seen at least a 23% target share. Mm-hmm. For Bijan, it was still just 51% of the team's running back share touches overall. Uh, but it was more of a run-heavy game plan. The good news, as you mentioned, is that he saw 100% of the team's targets, running back targets, all six of them. So as long as no one else is getting used, Cordero Patterson included, and that type of role, it's clear that Arthur Smith continues to want to just lean on his running backs, in this case, to hide Desmond Ritter, who was bad, yes. Even his interception, one of them today, Josh, was in the red zone because, of course, Ritter can't go a red zone possession without turning it over all the time. I will say the share of touches, uh, Tyler Algier, when they're about to win the game, gets a couple at the end because he's their, still their power back. So when they are winning, usually it means Bijan's already gotten home and then they're going to throw in a couple to Algier. So I think we're going to be safe there. On the other side, lots of actual fantasy news on the Saints and uh, Rashid Shahid. He leaves with a thigh injury pretty early in the game. He dropped a, a low pass at the goal line where he could have scored a touchdown. We'll see if, if he's going to be ready to go, but leg injury, soft tissue injuries for a speedster. Don't like that combination. Chris Olave was going crazy because remember, Michael Thomas is already on injured reserve. It was just Olave early in this game, and he was absolutely dominating, finished with over 100 yards, but he leaves with a concussion. Mean, meanwhile, we have a couple of huge, huge, huge turnovers that really cost the Saints the game. Derek Carr, brutal pick six, also in the red zone. Jesse Bates came out of nowhere. Actually, I don't even want to say he came out of nowhere. Derek Carr was just looking to the right the entire time, and Jesse Bates read him like a book, goes all the way to the other way for a pick six, and then Taysom Hill has a fumble here. They were obviously using Taysom Hill. He had a a downfield reception, which was kind of cool to see. Obviously, the Wildcat stuff was still there, but once Olave, Michael Thomas, and Rashid Shahid was out of there, I I believe Juwan Johnson also left in the middle of this game. It was really Alvin Kamara, I guess Jamal Williams, and then Taysom Hill, but right now... This Saints offense is uh, just not going to be healthy enough to really move the needle, especially with Derek Carr still having a couple crucial missed plays, either downfield or interceptions. Jamal Williams also got banged up for a little bit in this game. Juwan did return later on, but yeah. that, as you said, at one point, their three wide receiver sets for multiple series was Lynn Bowden, A.T. Perry, and Keith Kirkwood. Like, that's not an NFL offense. Uh, and, and that's why the Falcons now lead the NFC South. 
I believe A.T. Perry got benched when everybody was kind of healthy because he ran yeah. a little like a route that was probably supposed to be a fade. I'll have to watch it, rewatch it again. But he just kind of stood there. And then like after the play was over, like looked to the sideline. He was like, oh, that was my bad. I forgot like I to run a route entirely. I don't know what the <laughs> hell happened with that one. But yeah, just really bad vibes for the Saints right now. We'll see what they do going into next week with the injury reports for all of them. But as a reminder, this team, this was their all in window. Derek Carr next year, $30 million guaranteed. There's $70 million over the cap going into next year as well. So this is just a really weird spot for the Saints to be in now with a losing record to a Falcons team that has not been very impressive this year. Buccaneers versus Colts. Sticking with the AFC South, NFC South theme we have going here, the Colts now improved to 6-5 and five in that playoff hunt dropping the Buccaneers to 4-7, and seven, a 27-20 to 20 victory for the Gardner Minshew, dropping back 41 times in this game, John Daigle. But for fantasy purposes, a nice two-touchdown, 91-yard on-the-ground performance from JT, plus Michael Pittman, 13 whopping targets, which matches Josh Downs as well, 10 receptions and 107 yards. And the Colts didn't start out that way. <clears throat> they opened the first half with 25 throws to just eight running back carries. Even the Bucks had success here. Drove down the field on their first possession. Baker, though, gets injured on a quarterback sneak up the middle, gets stuffed, and then comes off the field, which then puts Kyle Trask on at the one-yard line, and they ultimately can't convert on their next two plays. So Tampa kicked a field goal from the one-yard line instead of scoring there. And then a couple possessions later, Baker returns, throws a pick, and the Colts turn that into a four-yard touchdown for Jonathan Taylor, as you mentioned, his first of two. And the second half, though, because they were having so much success with explosive runs in the first half, I think that's why they started turning to that. Not only, probably to help pad their lead as well. But overall today, this is a Bucks defense that only allowed four rushing touchdowns of the entire year coming in. They've been a pass funnel. And today, Zach Moss, JT, and Gardner Minshew combined for 155 rushing yards and three touchdowns overall, as even Minshew snuck one and two. And it really came down to later on in the game, fourth and one, the Bucks 49-yard line. Andy lined up in a jumbo package with an extra tight end, an extra offensive lineman, and Zaire Franklin playing fullback. And Minshew faked the handoff, stepped back, and threw it to Mo Alleycock sprinting literally wide open for a 30-yard catch to move it and then eventually punch that in for JT's second score. Baker gets the ball back. He strips sacked with 90 seconds left in the game, and the Colts come away victorious here. Hayden, uh, we get Michael Pittman questions somehow every single week on our Sunday morning show. Look at the consistency of these routes and the targets and where they are. Like, this is what a Gardner Minshew Shane Steichen offense is. And for better or for worse, and I will add, there's much worse out there across the NFL. And other than, I don't know, week nine, where he still went eight for 64, just look at the consistency of where all of these targets are. It's not high upside. It's also not high variance. He is one of the most consistent wide receivers in the league, whatever that floor and that ceiling is for you. Yeah, right now the Colts, they've scored 27. They only scored 10 the previous week, then 27, 27, 38, 20, 23, 23, 22, 31, and 21. That's how many points they scored every single week this year. So the Colts are always projected a lot when we like look at the, the, the models and stuff. They're always projected for a lot, and all I know is Michael Pittman's very good right now. Yeah. Uh, Daigle, question with that, because Pittman got 13 targets. 
Josh Downs also got 13 targets, but Downs could only turn that into five receptions for 43 yards. What gives? That's pretty much it. As I mentioned, they moved to the second half. Nothing really to see here. A couple missed opportunities, one deep shot in particular that Minshew missed. But overall, no, Downs didn't leave anything on the field. I was still encouraged that he got in a full practice Friday and was removed from the injury report altogether. It's a soft spot that we've constantly targeted for fantasy against this Buck secondary that has been absolutely miserable since their bye. I think really for me, the biggest takeaway for the Colts offense was the fact that after handling 24 of 25 touches in Germany before the bye, uh, Jonathan Taylor came out today, and although it was favorable still to him, it was more 60-40. And now yeah. in back-to-back games, Jonathan Taylor has one target. That's a problem. And today, it was 15 touches, no catches, no targets even, to Zach Moss's 10. That's not the split we saw the last time this team played. And Shane Sykin even mentioned afterwards the game, he said, quote, it's good to have the two-man game back. And so since Zach Moss played in the two-minute drill, I do wonder if we get this 60-40, 55-45 favoring mm. for the rest of the season, which, again, JT got there on two carries inside the five-yard line today or inside the 10. That's great. But I thought, personally, we were going to get more the rest of the season. And at least today, that wasn't the case. I agree. I had him as my running back two going into this week, which I think turned out just fine. But that type of usage is more like RB10, kind of depending on the matchups. Do we want the Colts in the playoffs? We want the Bills. Come on. We want the Bills. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in comparison to the Bills schedule, the Colts have the Titans, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Falcons, and the Raiders over their next four games. So, I mean, the strength of those. Okay. And now, to ask this question, we can go around the horn here. Daigle, you have to pick one. I don't want to cop out of. I don't care. They're going to lose in the first round. Of these three <laughs> NFC South teams, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks, Daigle, which one do you want to see in the playoffs? Who can win one game? No. Who who do you just want to see in the playoffs? I want to see Bijan in the playoffs. Oh, I, I want to see the the Arthur Smith press conference after the loss. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to, I want to see Desmond Ritter in the red zone in the playoffs. That's what I yeah. want to see. Yeah. Okay. Rams versus Cardinals. Speaking of the NFC playoff picture, back. don't look now. But the Los Angeles Rams are sneaky contenders to fill that role now, just at five and six. But there's a lot of five and six teams in the NFC at the moment. And the Rams just put 37 points easily on the Arizona Cardinals. And the way they did it, the man who returned from injured reserve, Kyron Williams, is, I believe, the first player since 2017 Kareem Hunt to have 125 rushing yards. 50-plus receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. He added a third on the ground in this game. I mean, just build the entire boat around Kyron Williams. It certainly worked out in this game. He had a 56-yard run, which is something I never would have attached to. Four, six, five, 40 Kyron Williams. But it totally worked out here, and he was catching dump off after dump off. And for the people that are wondering, well, scoring 37 points, that must mean good stuff for my Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup bags. Not so fast, my friend. Eight targets for 27 yards for Puka. Five targets for 18 yards for Cooper Cup, who, by the way, hobbled significantly and had to get his left ankle immediately retaped after his first reception in the first quarter. It just wasn't necessary after that. I mean, they hit a 42-yarder to 2-2 Atwell on a beautiful downfield shot by Matthew Stafford. And the defense stepped up big, too. Uh, sacking Kyler Murray 
four times, keeping James Conner just for six carries for 27 yards. It was a full team effort. And just shout out to Sean McVay for, I would say, a roster that we all looked at at the start of the season and said they have four players to build around, uh, has kind of turned it into this, a real playoff contender. Who cares if they do get knocked out in the first round? That is a huge, I think, shot in the arm to Sean McVay, who, by all accounts, thought about walking away from the game this past offseason and taking a break, and now they are back into it in a big way. Yeah, they've had a couple, like I would say three late-round rookies that are like legit starters, starting with Puka Nakua. They've got an edge rusher. they got a, a good corner as well. So, yeah, this is just a really huge win for the Rams. Uh, Kyron Williams, I mean, he only played 61% of the snaps, but that's because he was out there ripping off big plays in the meantime. Yeah, this... This offense is just a, it's a function of this balanced attack, and Kyron Williams is super trusted, and he's going to catch dump-off passes. Uh, even if Royce Freeman's going to steal a couple reps uh, throughout the game, it might not be like the week two, three, four Kyron Williams. It could be that little second wave. But still, in this offense with Matthew Stafford playing at this level, I think that he's a RB1 moving forward. My only concern is that we knew Stafford was going to operate from a clean pocket today because the Cardinals defense just doesn't have any playmakers whatsoever. Yeah. Constantly pounced on by opposing quarterbacks. And now their next two games yeah. are against the Browns and the Ravens. Fair and okay. so, and this one where both Puka and Cooper Cup failed to get there, I know everyone's thinking, like, what do we do now? Because if they couldn't get there in this one, what happens in the next two? And I don't have an answer for you. I, yeah. I don't know where to rank, at least on Sunday, these two guys next week and going into the fantasy playoffs because it's a really tough situation. Yeah, I mean, the the people hate us for talking about Cooper Cup still in a glowing light when let's look over his last five games, gentlemen. Not uh, good. Two receptions, 29 yards, four receptions, 21 yards, two receptions, 48, one for 11, and now we get three for 18. Trust me, guys, I get it. I'm playing Cooper Cup where I have him. I will. The only thing I can add to this is... I think this ankle injury and maybe the hamstring just to open the year has sapped some of the suddenness that does matter to his game. Um, and that's impactful right now. I think if this game was closer and we didn't have, you know, a 23 yard touchdown run, a 56 yard touchdown run and other receptions to Kyron Williams, can some of those points be shifted over in Cooper cup and Puka Nakua's direction? A hundred percent. It just hasn't been the case. I do think that this game is quite different than that Seattle Seahawks game. Last week when he gets injured in the first half, but um, this certainly isn't the volume sponges that we've seen from Cooper Cup over the last two seasons and that we saw from Puka Nakua earlier this year. Uh, it just wasn't needed in this game. What the hell happened to Kyle, Kyler Murray? Like I, I've, I've seen some missed throws uh, in the yep. previous weeks. I, I looked at this box score like midway through the second quarter and the box score looked really rough. It was really rough. And... I mean, I wish I had the per quarter numbers because there's a bunch of garbage time uh, yeah. a part of this and including a Greg Dortch 14 yard touchdown where uh, down 37 to 14, he did the two short celebration to the corner. And he's what, 5'8", 170 <laughs> at best? I mean, get it in when you can, Greg. I, I absolutely love that. Save someone's fantasy week, that's for sure. Um, Kyler was doing, you know, his whirly bird stuff. A little bit and you know when you have Aaron Donald bearing down on you and it just wasn't hitting it wasn't hitting early on I mean if we just go by like the play-by-play -play with the drives here you know 
for the Ram. I mean, both teams opened with a touchdown. So basically it was the first drive of the game. And then the second to last drive of the game is when the Cardinals put up points. And then in between it was punt, punt, turnover and downs, punt, end of half, punt, miss field goal, punt, and that's it. So uh, it just couldn't sustain, couldn't do anything. And despite all that, it was the most productive we have gotten Marquise Brown attached to uh, Kyler Murray so far this year at six for 88. Looking at completion percentage over expected, he's had negative eight, zero, and then negative eight percent in his three starts. I think it is something to monitor. At least like Marquise Brown, a couple like deep passes that can that really uh, swing things back and forth. I thought it was very encouraging, though, for Greg Dorch. Despite how he got there in a negative game script, this is now 17 targets the past two games. Focus on that first. And then also the fact Zach Pascal was back this week, and they still ran Greg Dorch in three wide sets. Tied Rondell Moore for the second most receiver routes on the team. I think it's clear they want to use him, and despite how funny it is him operating out there, he earns targets every time he plays. Also, don't want to overlook Tyler Higby. These were the first two touchdowns to a tight end this entire season for the Rams, and he came down with both. Um, one was just like a block, block, block release, and then another one was just another catch to the flats, and it was your one big Tyler Higby game that you get every single season, and it happened against these Arizona Cardinals. By the way, Kyron Williams, one of six running backs from Friday on to score at least two touchdowns. What a wild week of running back mm-hmm. rankings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those, we talked about in Stats for Film just before, you know, our little, uh, let's say, few days off, that this was a top three running back for the entire season. And it's yeah. like no juice got on top of it. You know, like no one got amped that we were getting Kyron Williams back in our lives here. I think they will. Moving forward, we were getting start set questions about him this morning. Uh, never more. The, the rest of the season. And he is just another example. I talk about this every single time during NFL draft season. I love athletic testing. I think it matters for so many positions. I don't think it matters that much for productive running backs out there. If someone, as you see, gets crushed and say, oh, he can't play in the league because he doesn't test well here, here, here. There have been plenty of productive running backs in the NFL over the last two decades that were even bad NFL caliber athletes. Heck, Kyron Williams is on the list now. Josh Jacobs. We've seen Dalvin Cook in recent years. I can go down and down the list. I'm not saying they're bad athletes. I'm saying they tested as bad athletes. And it's something that that position, to me, can overcome in comparison to all others because there's more that goes into it than one-on-one pure athleticism. Steelers versus Bengals. Talk to me. In the first game without Matt Canada, the Pittsburgh Steelers put up 421 yards of offense. How different did this look? It was the first time they've broke 400 yards since week two of 2020 when it was Big Ben, James Conner, and Juju. That was a 58-game streak. So, of course, first game without Matt Canada, we saw Kenny Pickett throw the ball over the middle of the field, and that party got started basically immediately. It was actually Pat Fryermuth, a name we haven't really talked about on the show very much this season uh, really winning on these seam routes had a ludicrous target share in this one he was the one that was moving uh the chains constantly i thought this was the best kenny pickett game i could remember wow. question mark there was a couple times during his rookie season where he's making some plays on the run that caught my eye but this was a well balanced game and jalen warren after the game uh he was asked what the offense is like without matt canada he said quote more communication and more I don't know how to say this without being too explicit, but more willingness to take shots, taking some risk. 
And that's what this passing chart was. It was Pat Fryermuth down the seam. And it actually could have been a much bigger game for the offense if Deontay Johnson, he, this, let's be honest, this was a catch. He caught the ball, had three feet in, then went to the ground, and then the ball fell out. I don't know how many steps you need to get in the end zone. He had three of them, and the, they didn't call it. Of course, the next play, Jalen Warren fumbles the ball. Uh, really weird game for Deontay Johnson, and this extended to the post game uh, as well. He had that drop. He was on that Jalen Warren fumble. It was a run to his side, and he just stood there, like did not block his guy. The ball was dribbled, dribbled next to him. He still didn't move. And then obviously uh, the Bengals recover it here. I don't know what happened, but after the game, Deontay <laughs> Johnson quote tweets it and was like, oops, like bad luck and better next, better luck next time. I don't know what his deal is right now, but he should have had a touchdown. I thought he caught it. George Pickens had a couple plays down the sideline. Uh, also had a drop here, but I thought Kenny Pickett played well. There was a little bit of a functional offense building here they actually could have probably put on more points here but in classic Steelers fashion even though I thought Pickett played well the game was still really close uh to a quarterback led by Jake Browning questions so I thought that it would be impossible for a new play caller to come in and for us to see a totally new offense did it feel like that it was new in that regard and we also got reports from earlier this morning i think from rap sheet saying now they want to get jalen warren more involved which by the way it was 16 touches in this game albeit many fewer yards than Najee harris and then we want to get george pickens more involved uh that only equaled five targets three receptions for 58 yards i didn't really notice either of those two players getting more involved to be honest like jalen ward had that fumble Najee harris uh, we'll go find it for stats for film. Maybe the best run of the week was absolutely trucking dudes over the middle. He also scored a touchdown in this one. So I didn't see like Najee, Najee Harris, who by the way started in this game as well. Like it was kind of the same split to me. Um, and then with George Pickens, it was like to me more or less the same old, same old. Mm. The big win was obviously just Pat Fryermuth and the throws over the middle of the field. Like that's what felt fresh. Uh, maybe the vibes were a little bit better. Maybe aside from Deontay Johnson, I don't know what his deal is right now, but just if Kenny Pickett feels a little bit better right now, that's a huge win. And by the way, they promoted the running backs coach to offensive coordinator, but the play caller is the quarterback's coach. So hopefully that means that Kenny Pickett is actually getting some plays that he likes to throw. Um, and maybe we can see this Steelers offense at least become watchable. I will say though, Bengals defense is not very good. Like they haven't oh, been good. Explosives, success rate, you name the stat. Bengals defense has not been very good. So maybe with a, a little bit uh, more of a formidable opponent, the Steelers offense will crash down again. The way I had viewed it throughout the week was that it had to stay the same for Deontay Johnson to remain at his range. Like he had to continue being pelted targets underneath to keep his target share. Otherwise, if it was going to disperse at all under a new play caller, it was not going to be a good yep. thing for him because we just can't get two wide receivers in this offense. And so the fact it's Fryermuth, as you mentioned, who pops up with the team, high 34% target share and George Pickens, who stays the same with the 15 and a half percent target share he had with Deontay Johnson all along. But to me, that's not good to me. It's still mm -hmm. a bit of a downgrade for Deontay Johnson moving forward. Final question. Uh, first game that we got from start to finish with Jake Browning at quarterback. What is the trickle down now to Jamar Chase? Six targets, four receptions, 81 yards. And Joe Mixon, who had 
a whopping eight carries for 16 yards and yeah. then just two catches for 44 yards. There were two big plays for the Bengals offense here. One, it was that Mixon fourth quarter screen where he busted loose for a big play, was running really hard on that one, credit where it's due. And then the other one was a Jamar Chase 31-yard catch where the ball was deflected, went into the air. Jamar Chase caught it. There was about five Steelers around him. Somehow, none of them tackled Jamar Chase, and Jamar Chase had some yards after the catch. Neither of them were like real dropbacks for Browning. So that's very concerning. They had nine first downs this game. They only had 41 oh. plays. They basically were punting the ball every single time. When Browning did throw the ball, 5.6 average depth of target. So there's not going to be any downfield shots. And then on top of that, he had 30 dropbacks, 17 of them resulted in pressure. So obviously Joe Burrow was probably navigating what would have been a lot more pressures behind a really bad offensive line, just because he knows what to do pre-snap and probably a little bit more mobile than Jake Browning. We're going to lose all that stuff. So Jamar Chase is going to have to get there with peppered slot targets, schemed up opportunities, but this could be an offense that just completely craters because they're going to be three and out punting. And that's how you end up with only 41 plays. Browns versus Broncos. The Steelers are seven and four. The Browns are now seven and four uh, after their defeat to the Denver Broncos, who are six and five, 29 to 12. DTR gets knocked out with a concussion, but the story is on Denver's end. Russell Wilson, 13 of 22, 134 yards and a score. Javante Williams, Samaje Pirine combined for 25 carries for 110 yards and one touchdown. Dangle, the box score is not great on either end. So yeah. are the Broncos now just this grimy, nasty, grinded out team to win? And coming into the game, they were leaning on Russell Wilson's league high touchdown rate, which is completely fair. These things regress over the offseason, which is why regression is harder to pinpoint in season because you don't know when it's going to happen. But over the offseason, we could say something like, oh, well, last year it was a career low in touchdown rate for Russell Wilson. I bet he bounces back this year. Something as simple as that. And so that's what's happening right now. In this game, though, they took a 14 nothing lead early on. Javante Williams injured on their first possession. And that's why Samaji P. Ryan comes in inside the red zone and vultures that touchdown. Williams ultimately returned and led the team in running back touches. He's just fine. But credit where it's due because in the third quarter, Dorian Thompson Robinson did throw his first career touchdown pass. And remember, this is his first career road start in Denver against what has become an elite unit over this back half of the, of the season and also in altitude. So not a great spot for him overall. It was a two-yard pass to Harrison Bryant, but Amari Cooper dropped the two-point conversion that would have tied it. So after the Broncos took a 14-0 lead, rather than the Browns being tied, it's now 14-12. And from that point on, the wheels completely fell off. Dorian Thompson-Robinson took a massive hit and had to exit the game. I can't imagine he plays next week either. Not only that, but Amari Cooper suffered a rib injury, couldn't return mm. in this one. Miles Garrett injured his shoulder, and reportedly in the locker room afterwards, he couldn't lift it to put on his T-shirt. So we Dang. don't know his status either. Jordan Elliott also left this one with an ankle injury. And remember, Denzel Ward was absent from this game too. And so right now, it is just littered across from – from top to bottom on this Browns team that in Dorian Thompson's three starts, they haven't reached 14 points in any of those games. So it's just 
Not a good situation right now. The Broncos get five turnovers in this one, including a safety whenever PJ Walker comes in. And that's kind of what, how they sealed this one was on the eve of their defense, not really their offense. I mean, it feels like that. That's what the Broncos have morphed into in a way where, you know, the defense really picked things up after being historically awful in the start. And now we get again, 11 carries from Russell Wilson who thought watching Russell Wilson last year that we would ever get a 20 pound weight loss Russell Wilson this year and him scrambling and running the ball 11 times, 34 yards and a touchdown. But again, say it every single week, dialing back the clock just a little bit. Having those magic moments is almost a difference in, yeah, I think you're throwing the needle a bit and what is the upside of a Broncos team that does this way, but you also have Sean Payton coaching you and that coaching job is just so much better than many across the league in my opinion. It's his most rushing yards per game since 2019 and it is crazy because even his touchdown passes, they take some George Pickens like Hall of Fame reels to get there every week. Even this one to like Adam Troutman, uh, the throw he makes on that touchdown pass, Wilson just biding time too. It's incredible. But honestly, he does look like a totally different player this year. For the Browns, if they don't have Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett, that is, I mean, that's as significant as it gets. I want to say it's Jover, John, because I'm with you. This, like, as a team, it is Jover. They do have the Bears the Jets and the Bengals still on their schedule and they already have seven wins. So they'll be scraping by, but this is like the team that you like. We want the bills in the playoffs over the Browns at this point. Well, and also I know Dago, you follow the award races very much. Like if miles Garrett is out for a significant time, that changed the landscape for defensive player of the year tremendously. I don't even know. Like they can't, they're not going to consider Deron bland, right? Or will they? I, I mean, Deron bland's making, and people love a narrative for these awards, making history with his TJ Watt is probably next up as well. I'd TJ put it Watt's between player. those two players. Then uh, if miles Garrett does, miss I, mean, that's, I yeah. guess we'll talk about the wrong plan, but man, that's, that's wild. Like, I, Definitely. What a wild thing. Panthers versus Titans, Tennessee Titans, 17 Carolina Panthers, 10 unironically. I am nominating punter Ryan Stonehouse for MVP of this oh game, God. a man who averaged 54 yards per punt on seven of them as the Panthers had average field position of 20, 21, 4, 20, 10, 33, 12, 11, and their own nine yard line. Uh, we got two rushing scores from Derrick Henry. Love to see that 18 carries for 76 yards. If you ever were waiting for a game to play Derrick Henry, you knew it was this one, despite just a long gain of 18. And then the other big play in this game, because really they were just two, uh, was a, I need to go back and watch it, either a tight rollout or just a drift to the right for Bryce Young. Iki Aquanu lets Arden Key as a turnstile run right by him. Bryce is going back to pass and Arden Key just totally knocks it down out of his hand and they get the ball around the 17 yard line. It's Titans offense. uh, There were some early signs. Like there was one drive that ended in a touchdown where I think Will Levis went five for five or six for six. And, you know, that allowed DeAndre Hopkins to get three for 49 and Chig to have a career day. It felt like this season. Congratulations to your 10th place teams, four receptions for 45 (laughs) yards. Uh, But then like the rest of the game, it just, went away and there was no consistency on top of it. Will Levis had some really inaccurate passes on top of that. And uh, Daigle, how you were explaining and Hayden too, 
how CJ Stroud was like buying time and working between pressure. I think he and Bryce Young had the exact same uh, sacks, hurries, pressure numbers, and almost near the exact same time to throw numbers. It just looks totally different on those scramble drills when Bryce is like trying to make these passes and then everyone's still like glued to uh, defensive backs. So not not working for them. This was really like the best chance for the Panthers to win a game the rest of the season. And they put up 10 measly points. And David Tepper literally walks out with an F-bomb because he knows he's going to have to pay uh, three years, $27 million for Frank Reich to sit uh, at home on his couch for the next 1,000 days. The national cameras cut into this one on the last drive. And they're building it up whenever, because, you know, whenever you kick it to Greg Olson, he'll catch you up and Kevin Burkhart, and then they will send it down to the field. And Bryce Young driving to tie the game. They're hyping it up. Number one overall pick. It's fourth and six on that last drive. And, <laughs> and with the world watching, the, he gets the snap, and it's a design screenplay. It goes two yards behind the line of scrimmage on well, fourth and six. E- e- even this one. I mean, this was second and seven, two minutes to go. You need to score seven points. And I mean, they've once again lost two starting offensive linemen in this game. 64. <laughs> that's a sack go in 2.2 seconds. So it's like, hey, world, let's see what Bryce Young can do in this game winning drive. And then uh, just no chance. No chance in this dynamic. Do you think Reich is the coach by week 18? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I think it's better odds that Frank Reich doesn't last this week than he makes it through the entire season, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I mean, you, David Tepper launching that F-bomb and shaking his head. Yeah. It's on you, dude. You're looking in the mirror. You're pointing the finger. This is your offense. What's hilarious, Hayden, is you can tell they like went to the drawing board prior to this game because the first play of the game was 12 personnel, play action, roll out to the right, hitting Jonathan Mingo on a 22-yard crossing route. Beautiful stuff, Right. And then later on, we got a wide receiver screen to Amir Smith-Marset for a manufactured touch play. But like, here's an example. Um, This is an attempted catch by Jonathan Mingo. uh, And he just like doesn't know how to operate his body. (laughs) It's like, it is some of like the wildest. He just like flings his legs out. It's, I do want to also want to bring up, because we'll talk about in stats versus film. Um, Adam Thielen, three targets, one catch, two yards. We're getting almost to this trend. This was obviously the bottoming out of it. It felt like in every second down and third down, there was pure bracket coverage with a cornerback on top, a linebacker underneath, and they were just both sets of eyeballs just tracking him, and that would allow Chuba Hubbard to get five receptions, 47 yards in the vacated area in the middle of the field and a few other players like that. So just pitiful. Yeah. It's not it's not good that this is a pass funnel defense and they didn't even attempt a single pass beyond 20 air yards. And I mean, well, that's I don't, it's blaming on everyone, everybody. But that's the fact. It's an unserious offense completely. There there was one play where they tried a seven step drop and Jeffrey Simmons grabs Cade Mays, throws right. him to the side and sacks the quarterback. Who do you think Tepper's most uh, irritated about the practice facility, uh, Bryce <laughs> over Stroud or Frank Reich right now? Probably um, a show <laughs> called Scheme, where he ended up having to pay Josh McCown top 10 quarterback coach money. Yeah, yeah. Refresh my memory. Was it Reich's decision on Bryce Young or was it Tepper? 
I mean, Nicole Tepper, right? <laughs> Daigle, they're not selecting any quarterback, whoever it was, without David Tepper being like, this is my guy. And now the new coach has no choice but to be tied to him, regardless of Young's outlook. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that this is just a ludicrous situation from top to bottom. Sure. And we have, we have seen this from first-round quarterbacks, second-round quarterbacks, whatever, where their rookie years just like half, like it's just worst case scenario. You have to throw them out in a way and how this is trending towards and how we're here 12 weeks in the season. Um, hopefully this is one of those where you look back on and be like, we have to totally hit the reset button a la Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville with urban Meyer. I mean, compare Trevor Lawrence stats to Bryce, Bryce's stats this year and Trevor Lawrence as a rookie was still blowing Bryce out. So I don't know it's not good right now. But when you watch like uh like the play calling plus the wide receiver play plus total lack of a running game plus the offensive line, like mm-hmm. again, it is a situation from top to bottom where uh there is nothing positive that you can point to. Okay, let's go back to Thanksgiving Day games on Thursday. Packers versus Lions. 29-22. The Green Bay Packers shockingly walk into Detroit. Dropping the Lions to eight and three. Guys, I know at the end of the day, it's 332 yards and two touchdowns from Jared Goff. Felt like a lot of that was in the second half. So I guess my question is, we've gotten really back-to-back poor performances here from Jared Goff, plus what this defense has turned into. The Lions are one of my favorite teams to watch on a weekly basis from a multitude of reasons. The backfield, the play caller, the wide receiver play. But I think they're kind of showing some of their flaws and some holes in their games in order for them to be like a true contender in the NFC. Yeah, I think it's going to end up costing them uh, their season. It's be a fun team for the playoffs, like looking forward to it. But you've given up 29 points to the Packers, 26 points to the Bears. Uh, the Chargers dropped 38 on you just recently. And then before that, we had Baltimore dropping 38 as well. So this defense is just getting torched. Too many injuries across the board. Aiden Hutchinson can't bail him out entirely. And like, for example, this one, Christian Watson goes down the field, catches a bomb 53 yards down the field regression, really winning for Christian Watson in this one. But more downfield opportunities in this offense for Jordan Love and hitting a couple more of them in this offense. But I do think, to me, the big storyline was, one, the Packers – offense looking capable even though they're really young but number two to me was this lions defense is just not nearly as good as the other uh nfc contenders it's something we've talked about the past couple weeks too how we're worried about the lions defense whenever it comes to the playoffs and they just can't cover anyone they have playmakers in their front seven but they also struggle to finish and get sacks which is a problem and now you have jared goff crumbling under pressure which has been the case the entire career ben johnson has done his best to cover it up but three interceptions and three fumbles the last two games it's everything trending in the wrong direction at the wrong time it's real sad i mean maybe we can talk through some individuals here uh to be honest and maybe hayden you're in the same scenario as me uh, I was cooking the turkey during the first quarter or the first half of this game. How'd it and, turn out? Uh, oh, great. Great. You know, I didn't little, know you could cook turkey. Good job. Oh, yeah. Soy, honey, glaze with some oh, garlic yeah. and some uh, orange peel on top of that. And, you know, hey, I'm proud of you. it every 20, 20 minutes. Uh, anyways, I turned on when Jack Harlow was on a white sheet trying to sing some. The, the most low budget. I mean, <laughs> halftime show I've ever seen. Um. Dave Montgomery, 15 carries, 71 yards to score. 
Jameer Gibbs, 11 carries, 54 yards. We do get Amon Ross and Brown, 9 for 95. Is this just, again, one of those performances that, look, we know typically what the Lions do, and maybe more so it's like the total lack of defense that the defensive backs have gotten to this point where, yes, this is probably the third in a row of Jordan Love showing his best as a professional, and uh, but you got got at home, and typically the Lions – that is, you know, a fortress in a way for them so far this season. Yeah, I think this is just a reminder that Christian Watson is still a downfield guy capable of some big games. Like, I think a lot of people are completely writing him off. To me, he was always in the same grouping as Jaden Reed and Romeo. Those two were just obviously making huge plays. Jaden Reed, another decent game here as well. So uh, we'll see if Aaron uh, Jones is ready to go. Uh, this last week, it was A.J. Dillon not really going anywhere. Um, but on the flip side, I think people are going to go absolutely nuclear looking at the Jameer Gibbs snaps and routes. But I don't think that the Lions will be trailing by this many points this early very often. I think that all that stuff will come back uh, to closer to 50-50. And then obviously David Montgomery was the one to punch it in this time. Uh, I would like to hype Jaden Reed and Christian Watson a little more than that. Because Love it that. was, uh, although in a game without D- Dontavian Wicks, who is important because he was being rotated as the team's fourth receiver on around 30% of routes, but it's a season high 91% route rate for Christian Watson out there as an every down player. Also a season high target share too. And then Jaden Reed also uh, in back-to-back games tied for the team. high target share leads the team in targets in this one. Also remember a couple weeks ago, sprinkled in with three carries. So I think it's trending in the right direction for those two receivers for the second half of the season. I mean, Jordan love back-to-back games, 322 yards, Two touchdowns, took three sacks against the Chargers. 268 yards, three touchdowns, took zero sacks against the Detroit Lions. He's going to be on one of the two episodes of Scheme this week. Can't wait to see his involvement because this is really important based on that contract that we keep talking about where he took less money, our guarantees in the next year. But if he continues going the right track, no doubt he opens next season as the Packers starting quarterback. Yeah, it's trending that way. They're kind of in the no man's land. It seems like right. there's two top quarterbacks, and then maybe you get a third one late in the, the first round. So yeah, I think they're just gonna stick with Jordan Love. This is a reminder, such a young offense. It was not it would not be a surprise if the early part of the year was the worst and they finish at least respectable down the stretch. And matchups make quarterbacks and against the Chargers and the Lions. Uh let's see what happens against the Chiefs under the right. national lights on Sunday night For football. Sure. Totally. Dolphins versus Jets. Dolphins demolish the Jets 34 Mm -hmm. to 13. Um, When you wonder why the XFL or the AAFL or whatever, these other leagues that maybe Daigle watches um, (laughs) (laughs) and you wonder why those don't work out. You can just look at Tim Boyle playing in an NFL game. Uh, it, It was look, we are no fans of Zach Wilson, but it's pretty clear that Zach Wilson is a more talented player and should be playing above someone like Tim Boyle, who just looked incompetent despite somehow completing 27 passes for 179 yards, an interception or two interceptions and a touchdown. But I guess it's the bigger conversation is on the Dolphins end. But again, this is one of those games and teams you should demolish. It feels though like, yes, we can continue to say that this Jets defense is super talented and it is. They have a, actually multiple talented pieces at multiple different positions. Uh, going to the offensive side too. But when the weight of you for 12 weeks hits, it's just like last week for this Jets defense where uh, splinters form, 
things start to happen and it's not as respectable of a unit from the first quarter and second quarter then into the third and the fourth. And so again, that's why giving up 34 points or putting 34 points on this Jets defense um, isn't as big of a story as it might have been in like, let's say week two or week three. I think like Trevor Simeon like would be for sure their best quarterback. So the fact that he is not playing, I think is just really weird. And uh, just reviewing the Jets offseason, the Aaron uh, Rodgers trade last one drive. They don't address the quarterback two spot over Zach Wilson. They bring all of Aaron Rodgers boys into town this week. But they've already had to trade away McCall Hardman. Then they have Randall Cobb. They signed Dalvin Cook to a bunch of money. And then this week, we get Alan Lazard, who was a healthy scratch in this one. And he's signed for a multi-year guaranteed contract. So the Jets this offseason, I would give them close to an F. Uh, obviously, the bad run out as well with Aaron uh, Rodgers. But you should see all of that crumbling. You can see it with Robert Sala. You can definitely feel it with Joe Douglas, who I do think is red hot on the hot seat. And right now, I would not be su- surprised if the Jets defense really gets pissed off uh, at what the offense has done. Brees Hall with a uh, 14-yard run here as well, but that's only his third since October 8th, whenever they play the Broncos, which seems like so long ago. So although they keep involving him, it's just in this offense, behind this offensive line, with this quarterback play, it has to be that explosive play you keep starting him for. Otherwise, it's just not there. It's not. We were talking about those eight and three teams in the AFC that are vying for the bye. The Dolphins' schedule looks beautiful. I mean, it's the Commanders, the Titans, and again, these same Jets over the next three weeks. So if you can get to 11 and three, that's big because then the final three decides it all. The Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. So again, mm-hmm. the goal, dominate your next three opponents, which by the way, we have seen the Miami Dolphins crush bad opponents this year. To me, that is the definition of good teams do that, like we see with the Dallas Cowboys. But we still have yet to see them beat the Bills, the Chiefs, the Eagles, there are three losses so far this year. And again, we close with the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills again. Having Jalen Ramsey back has been huge for this defense. At the same yes. time, though, losing Jalen Phillips, who was going to be an absolute stud for the next couple of years with that Achilles tear, really tough run out for him, but really awesome player. So uh, we'll see if the Dolphins and the Bradley Chubbs and those type of guys step up. Also, Jeff Wilson. 14 touches in this game, and it wasn't just in garbage time. He was active in place of Zavon Ahmed, who was on injured reserve, and Devon Achan, who was out this one. But with Achan back, I do wonder if it starts becoming more of a three-headed backfield, despite Mostert getting there this game for two touchdowns, since this team really does need an answer on short yardage. Outside of like their crafty, explosive plays, mm-hmm. they've needed that physicality, and I think Jeff Wilson genuinely brings that. Commanders versus Cowboys. Speaking of good teams crushing bad ones, uh, the Cowboys are also eight and three, crushing the Washington Commanders 45 to 10. Dak Prescott, MVP case, 22 of 32, 331 yards, four touchdowns. Um, Hello. And just, you know, 53 yards went to CD Lamb. We're seeing consistency once again. From Brandon Cooks, where in the first half of the season, it felt like he was a possession receiver, contested catch guy. Uh, We're seeing a little bit more from that. And then, again, just the dot he put on Jake Ferguson for his lone reception for 35 yards. Dak is playing unreal football at this moment. 
this year, he is number one in big play throw rate, according to PFF, and also number one in turnover-worthy play rate all the way down under 2%. So, I mean, there's an MVP case not turning the ball over and making all these big plays, totally. and he's running around a little bit more recently as well. And, yeah, the Brandon Cook stuff, get those downfield shots going in the last couple of weeks. This offense is absolutely drilling teams. Dak Prescott still not getting – the respect he deserves in the MVP case. I think just they need to win some big games down the stretch here uh, to kind of take that narrative out. But Dak Prescott right now is playing just about as good as football as you can possibly play. They needed a second receiver for such a long time. Like Jake Ferguson's great in the red zone, but you still need someone to help open up the field for CeeDee Lamb. And now in their last three games, Brandon Cook's season-high target share and then led the team in receiving yards in back-to-back weeks. I mentioned last week how it seemed like they were doing some more creative things on offense. And someone who listens to the show actually reached out and told me that over their bye week, Dak mentioned to media that they started doing meetings with open doors, like all the position rooms. And that way they start cross talking to one another. And that's why we're now seeing apparently more Brandon cooks in motion, more multiple tight end sets, more uh, Rico Dowdle getting involved in the passing game as well. They're just trying to get more playmakers and everyone involved to create an integrated system. And as you said, Josh, it's not only Dak uh, trending towards being MVP right now. Week 14, Jalen Hurts, who's leading the MVP odds, there's a chance to skyrocket up the board. And then Josh Allen in week 15, there's another chance to knock someone down. So it's all it's all lining, honestly, for if the Cowboys keep winning, Dak is right there with Brock Purdy. They can yeah, both easily get there. For for this last game, it's also taking advantage of a great matchup. Dak Prescott, his average depth of throw was 15 yards down the field, which is 99th percentile. So we know what the, the commanders, how bad they are. They're also uh, fairly run heavy early on or uh, pass heavy in this game as well. So, I mean, the Dak Prescott offense is really gearing up right now. Yeah. A couple weeks ago with Colt, we went through this Cowboys offense and, you know, Mike McCarthy has changed his ways a little bit and, Maybe it was that one day he spent at PFF, but he is attacking more vertical. He is putting players in motion. He is working with crossing routes. He uh, is using some speed out motions on top of that. So he's clearly watching like stuff that is successful on other offenses, whether it be the Shanahan's, the McVeigh's, the McDaniel's, whoever, and incorporating bits and pieces of that, which I don't know if we're thinking of Mike McCarthy as one who would do that, but you know, with Kellen Moore departing and a weird way kind of a firing and taking a hold of the responsibility. I mean, once again, the Cowboys are one of these teams that are demolishing bad teams. And then we get a good test right before the playoffs for them. Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions in four of the last five weeks of the season. Um, quickly, anything we want to say about the commanders? I know that, uh, I mean, the Jack Sam Del Howell, Rio. the Evil, yeah, Jack Del Rio fired. Um, Sam Howell continues these up and down performances. He had that three game stretch where it was eight touchdowns compared to two interceptions. And then these last two games against the giants and the Cowboys, it's one touchdown and four interceptions and eight sacks combined in those. And the, the volume is just still so good. He'll finish as a QB one. Cause he gets there with a rushing touchdown and 44 pass attempts. So you just have to keep starting him even in tough matchups. I also think it's relevant that, 
Brian Robinson went from a season-high target share when Antonio Gibson was out a couple weeks ago back to this one to a single-digit target share, uh, 6% here. So we kind of know their roles. And in this one, although he did have a couple big plays, it's just not the kind of game script where we ever thought Brian Robinson would, would get there unless Gibson was out. 49ers versus Seahawks. San Francisco, 8-3. and three. 31, Seattle Seahawks. I'm nervous, guys. It really might fizzle out here. At six and five, you see now their schedule because the schedule's rough. Cowboys, 49ers, oh, yeah. Eagles over the next three weeks. I think the Seahawks are one of the more fun teams when everything is clicking. And I think all Seahawks fans would say that it's just not clicking anymore. And I don't know if it's kind of Geno under pressure, if it's stuff inside the 10 yard line, inside the 20 yard line. And I, I think the fans blame the play caller at times, and I'm sure some of that is true. Also taking six sacks in this game when the 49ers defensive line can just smother whatever rotating right tackle you have out there. Um, the Seahawks, to me, have given us some of the most fun moments of the season, uh, but it's not working out. It's also this been a while out. since we've seen those big yes, moments as well. Totally. And like, like you said, this game, he takes the six sacks and then his average depth of throw is almost 11 yards downfield. So it's like all boom bust and they throw that in the ground game as well. When Ken Walker is healthy out there, that's boom bust. And they've been on a really bust streak right now. And then Charbonnet, uh, he's just not the same player, same type of player that um, Ken Walker is. And like the big play ability is going to be a little bit harder to find. So Charbonnet still caught four passes uh, to save his day to some extent, but really, just this offense was lacking the explosiveness. And quite frankly, uh, the 49ers offense just too much to handle for a defense. I think that's that's fairly good. And they did their best against the, the, the receivers. But Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey were just too much to handle. I mean, yeah, they, they did their best, but the 49ers made them look stupid. Like they didn't have an answer. And who can blame <laughs> them? Who does have an answer for the San Francisco offense when everyone's healthy? Uh, when you can't create pressure and you just let Brock Purdy do whatever he wants with these pieces, it's over, man. And that's all it was because when you have players like Ayuk and Debo who get open and Quick Kittle who get open over the middle of the field, how you attack the Seahawks, good luck because it's not like they're dragging Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen to the inside. That's not how it works. So, yeah, they just, they were never in a good spot to begin with in this game. Yeah, on Sunday, 4 o'clock window, 49ers go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they get a little extended time to prepare for that game, but that is going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah. Um, this 49ers team, again, when everything is clicking, when it's a clean pocket, Brock Purdy and is running this offense just perfectly. And the anticipation throws he makes over the middle of the field, how he pushes the ball down the field, the placement – to Brandon Ayuk or to whoever else, the timing of it, it uh, is, again, taking it up a notch versus other great Super Bowl caliber offenses that we've seen for the 49ers. And it just makes me wonder that, hey, if we get a healthy quarterback play from the team once we get to the playoffs and healthy Trent Williams, is this team a legit contender with this defense playing at this oh, level, yeah. even without Hufunga, you know? And 100% they are. They, like... It's, it's tough to pick out who the best team in the NFL is. I will give you all the time in the day to make the case if it's the San Francisco 49ers. Their offense, EPA number one, success rate number one, and the EPA right now, it's quite frankly not even close at plus .16. Next closest is .12. That's the Cowboys and the Dolphins, Bills and Eagles. So they're kind of just in their own tier right now in terms of EPA. Uh, Pete Carroll came out after this one also in – 
anytime he has to mention that it's not just Geno Smith's fault, that means that's where we are at that part of the season. Uh, and saying that he needs to do different things on offense. He makes in, he mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba in particular, saying he needs to get him more involved, whatever the hell that means. But again, like I wrote about with Zach Charbonnet and the waiver wire column, we know the matchups coming up. And so despite the usage, it's just not great situations to have these guys right now. You can start DK Metcalf as a top 24 guy. Whether he gets there, though, I don't know. I will say, Josh, JSN made that awesome one-handed catch. And our own account, Underdog Fantasy, know I see you working, trolling (laughs) me when I say that name your favorite JSN moment and he finally has one and he doesn't even finish as a top 24, top 36 fantasy guy. And I'm getting subtweeted by my own guys. What the hell is this? Yeah, we we could do a whole show about Noah's fantasy football takes that he puts on Twitter. Exactly. Patriots versus Giants. <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch a second of this game. The New York Giants beat the New England Patriots. They improved to four and eight. The Patriots now have a top three overall selection. This might have locked it in. Hey, we talked about it in stats versus film, where it jumped from like a seventh percent chance to a 33% chance for them to have a top two overall selection. The Patriots are turning in a good direction for their future. Uh, a future that does not include Mac Jones, who was benched at halftime, felt like again, uh, 12 completions, 21 yards. 89 yards, two interceptions, a QBR of seven, a passer rating of 27 against a defense that has been torched by many of their quarterbacks this year. Uh, my question is, is are they in on the bit? Belichick, Kraft, like, I mean, 35-yard field goal to tie this game. And, I mean, we punted this thing into the concession sand. Uh, the Mac Jones, like, looks terrified playing quarterback right now. There's some balls fluttering around. He obviously doesn't trust his offensive line. Obviously, you can't trust the skill guys. Speaking of, Pop Douglas leaves uh, with a concussion. I think he said that he cleared concussion protocol but didn't return to the game. But, yeah, I mean, this there right now, it's the Bears, then the Cardinals, and now the Patriots' top three. And the Cardinals are a, a little bit more functional than the yes. Patriots. So they're very much on Caleb, Drake May, and Marvin Harrison watch right now. Ben Bolin. Uh, Patriots reporter mentioned that if Mac Jones, rather than completing 12 passes for 89 yards and two picks, had just thrown his 21 attempts directly into the ground, he would have finished with a higher QBR in this game. Bailey Zappi then also comes off the bench and his first six completions, he completed nine passes. He also had a pick. His first six completions all go behind the line of scrimmage. He finishes mm-hmm. with a 2.3 A dot on the day. Like this offense just has no hope this year. Everyone's in on the bit. But for fantasy purpose, Ramondre Stevenson, sure. I'm just throwing this out there. His like last six games, totally. he's approaching RB1 level production. And like because the bit is so strong, and that if, if they ever do turn to Bailey Zappi, we are going to get peppered with Ramondre Stevenson targets. And as a reminder, he was an RB1 down the stretch last year in a Patriots offense that was completely unwatchable like this one. So we can, I think, trust this Ramondre Stevenson stuff, even if Belichick and Kraft know that this is the fastest way to actually tank to a contending type of player. Just a quick thought on Mac Jones, because I think a whatever observer you are of you know, the NFL or thought of him entering the league. He looked like a, at the very least, 
20th level starting caliber quarterback in the NFL and would have a long career doing that. Yeah. To me, it is very rare that we get to this point now, three years into his career, going from that to just totally bombing out and then looking like he has the yips, has zero confidence. And that is just an interesting case study of like an individual's progression. And in this case, again, torpedoing of a career. Um, he's a limited player in his physical style. He did have areas where he won in terms of certain throws and certain aspects and throwing with timing and accuracy. And hey, you know this, if you put his numbers at Alabama through a model and yards per attempt and all of it, he was outstanding in all those areas. But what they hitched to him last year in that offense and then changing it to whatever this offense is, which at times looked worse then yes, I think some of it's on him. I always think some of it's on the Patriots organization where it almost is neck and neck as a player, maybe with like Zach Wilson of, Hey, are these guys going to be in the league in two years from now? I think just because that rookie season he'll last in there and probably be like, like maybe attach himself to a quarterback competition, but it's going to be very tough. This organization simply failed them. Like there's just no questions about it. Like you said, it's just so rare for a player that actually looked like he was competent as a rookie to this. It's like, it's shocking. And it just shows you how bad their draft picks and the free agent signings have been for a decade. It's um, look, never was going to be like Mac Jones is going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league. But if you had asked me that he was going to now look like this during his rookie season, uh, some terrible things would have happened. And uh, definitely some terrible things have happened. Um, By the way, Jalen Hyatt, real quick. Yes. Real quick. I mean, we talk about maybe some players who you don't know might pop up. Jalen Hyatt, six targets, five receptions, 109 yards. These are exactly the routes that we were hoping for him to to run. If uh, my share screen would work. It's not going to crossing routes, vertical routes, um, get that speed, get the ball in his hands and let him work. I just want to see some development this year and hopefully he can be, you know, a factor for this team next year with whoever's at quarterback, including Daniel Jones. It's a high note ahead of New York's bye, and then they return against the Packers. Darius Slayton came into today doubtful, um, finished fourth among their wide receivers and routes run. So that had a little bit to do with it, but sure. Out of the bye, Jalen Hyatt could certainly return for developmental reps and a little bit of a bump in usage. Tommy DeVito speaking of the bits, the whole family out in the stands doing the the signature, the, 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 the top ten. move. Uh, absolute superstar performance from Tommy DeVito. And yeah, the Giants, they're no longer on Caleb Williams, Drake May. The, the nope. other teams are not winning four games like the Giants. Yep. They have played themselves out of it. Okay. And we have talked ourselves out of this show. An hour and 34 minutes in. Week 13 on the horizon. Just two weeks in many of your regular season fantasy leagues. Um, I can't believe that the playoffs are approaching us. Hopefully you all have wonderful lineups, wonderful teams. We hear from you every single Sunday morning, and it certainly seems like you do. Hayden, maybe instead Daigle, talk to me about this waiver column you have this week. Uh, I know you're limping to the finish because it doesn't seem like there's any big names 
coming up this week for people to pick up. No big names, but I've been aware of this situation because it's six teams on bye week, and that includes the Ravens and some very potent offenses that are going away. So it's actually a huge week on the waiver wire for immediate flex options. So I'll help address that. Also, just wrapping everything up in the column because it it felt like the longest week ever. I mean, we had Thursday games, a Friday game, multiple Sunday games. uh, You know, it goes on and on. So I myself... That beyond this show need to get into the weeds and catch up on a couple things too. So I'll have all of that by Monday afternoon for everyone. Cool. You all can click and link in the description, get a percentage off and go support our guy, John Daigle, who supports us every single week on the show. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Bruce Ruiz up the Bella. We will talk to y'all soon. See you.